Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. You know, if you build a better business, you can then be a better architect. And better businesses start with planning for profit. Download our free course, Profit for Small Firm Architects, at entrearchitect.com slash free course. This is Entree Architect Podcast, and you're listening to episode 158. Welcome back to the Entree Architect Podcast. My name is Mark Arlapage, and this is the podcast dedicated to a successful life as a small firm architect. Whether you have plans to someday start your own firm, whether you're in the process of launching a startup, or you might be an experienced small firm architect just trying to make a difference, this podcast is for you. My goal is to inspire you to build a better business so that you may pursue your purpose with passion and live the life of your dreams. This week on the podcast, I'm speaking with two young architects about their journey to build their successful small firm. Coming together in architecture school, these guys survived the recession by developing a company creating BIM objects for manufacturers then designing and building tiny houses, which led to getting noticed on the media. And now they're launching their newest projects, a new book, a new podcast, and an architect as developer project. These guys are not waiting around waiting for permission. They're just getting it done. This week at Entree Architect Podcast, getting noticed through fun projects with Lance Psycho and Alex Gore of F9 Productions. This episode of the Entree Architect podcast is sponsored by NCARB, helping architects reach their goals. Explore your options today at ncarb.com. 
truestyle.org. And TrueStyle, the leader in high-end architectural interior doors. Learn more at entrearchitect.com slash truestyle. And FreshBooks, the easiest way to send invoices, manage your expenses, and track your time. Learn more at freshbooks.com slash architect. Lance Psycho and Alex Gore, welcome to Entre Architect Podcast. Hey, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us, Mark. It's a pleasure. It's great having you guys here. You guys have been uh, hanging out in the Entre Architect community for a long time. You uh, contribute over at the Facebook group. Um, you've uh, you've recorded in my ep- you know my 100th episode. You guys were on uh, with your recording there. You know, talking about uh, uh, whatever I asked about for that. But I remember you guys being on there. And, uh, you know, you pop up all over. So it's pretty cool to have you guys here. You guys have a really interesting story. Your firm is, is named F9 Productions, which I want to know that story. I want to know why, why F9 Productions for an architecture firm. Um, you're based in Colorado, uh, award-winning firm, including the 2016 Architizer A-plus award. So congratulations. That's pretty cool. Thank you. Thank you. We're pretty proud of that. Yeah, and you guys have a, a unique story. You know, a couple of young architects just jumping out there and doing it. You know, that's I love that. I love seeing uh, architects coming out of school wanting to create something and just doing it, not getting in, letting things get in your way. So uh, I can't wait to share your story with the community here. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we're excited. We're excited to tell our story. Absolutely. I mean, that's the number one reason why we're on the podcast today. So let's let's yeah. let's roll right into that, uh, Alex. Let's Alex. how about you start with your origin story? Go way back to where you discovered architecture, what inspired you to become an architect, and then roll right into sharing your journey to where you are today with F nine. Yeah. So my story goes way back, so far back that I actually don't remember. I've always wanted to be an architect, and I always drew uh, mainly ants versus bees. I don't know why. But um, I was I was so young that I didn't know where the ants came from. I just thought they were on the ground. So I drew them on the ground, and then I drew the bees in the in the holes. So like I had it reverse. And then I graduated to pirate ships. <laughs> and my grandma gave me uh, old calendars, and, and then you know the big ones. So I flipped over the back, and then I would just draw cities. Um, and then I'm sure my parents always just everyone just said, "Oh, you'll be an architect. You'll be right. an architect." It was just obvious. Yeah. Um, and then went to, uh, I grew up in Minnesota, but I didn't want to go to the U of M for whatever reason, just probably being stubborn because everyone else was going there. So if you remember when you're looking for colleges, you go to like the convention center. And I said, I went to the U of M and said, Hey guys, you know, I know you're great, but I kind of want to go somewhere different. And they said, well, have you heard of NDSU? They're right around the corner, you know, in the convention. I go, no, I have not heard of North Dakota State University in, in, in Fargo. So I went and vis- visited them. Um, and then that's kind of where we connected. Uh, do you want to tell about, about pre-NDSU? Yeah, yeah. so I'll jump in. Um, this is Lance now. <laughs> and uh, I wasn't drawing bees in the ground like Alex was, but I was always, growing up, I was always playing with Legos. Yeah. Uh, my favorite thing was Legos, right. 100%. Um, and then I was always drawing too, so I always had a sketchbook by me uh, all the time. My grandmother, again, another grandma story. God bless them. They, um, she always, she always made sure I had something with me when we were drawing, and she always took us on like summer vacations. And that's where I did a lot of a lot of drawing out out in out in the uh, the Rockies in Idaho. 
But I didn't really know that I wanted to be an architect or nobody really ever said, kind of like maybe Alex, they said to Alex, like, oh, you'll be an architect day or, or an engineer or something like that. Uh, what happened was I, I actually liked the building aspect of it more than anything. So I started working uh, when I was 13. I lasted one summer on the family farm. And <laughs> farming is hard work. In North Dakota, the mosquitoes are horrendous. Uh, and so I, I just, I said, to heck with that. And my dad's best friend was a contractor. And so my first summer was spent um, when I was 13 doing, we did over 70 roofs. We'd tear off and do, we'd tear off and put one back on that day. Sometimes we'd get out in like six hours. Um, and then from there, I didn't, I, I didn't really take school too seriously. So, but I took building seriously. So I decided, oh, I want to be a contractor. So I went to uh, Wapaton, North Dakota, down to North Dakota State School of Science, which was about 45 minutes south of Fargo and went to just to get my uh, associate's degree in building construction tech. And all that was was basically you went through um, like type five construction. You did a little bit of uh, type three and stuff like that. And you, you came out at the end of the day, you should you should be able to be a contractor. You should be able to do estimates. You should know how construction works um, and, 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 and do your job. I, that's when I started to actually like school <laughs> because <laughs> I felt like I had a choice and <laughs> yeah. what I could do, you know, because I grew up in a town of 500 people, graduated with a class of 19, should have been 20, but one guy flunked out and there was no opportunity at all to be able to actually choose electives or anything in that school. I mean, it was a K through 12. So when I got down to Wapaton and I could finally choose what I wanted to do, all of a sudden I want, I just love school and became like a straight A student. And then at the end of at the end of it, we built a house and I started we started looking at the floor plans and I just wondered why did the why did the designer make the decisions he made on these plans? And I wanted to know why, you know, why those decisions were made. And so um, I started looking at architecture school because I just wanted to keep going to school. And they had a, there was a cultural diversity tuition waiver. So all my tuition was waived. And I ended up landing a bunch of scholarships because all of a sudden I was a good student. And so I ended up going to North Dakota State University, um, same class as Alex. Um, the joke is that I got in. So there was, so there was 350 people that, get, that, that start out freshman year. They wean it down to 50. And in one of our classes, <clears throat> the very first class you take is it's like an intro to drawing class. And we had to carve um, like an eating utensil out of a piece of giant basswood. I'm not talking about like the basswood we use for our models, you know, I'm talking about a big block of it. And so I had a buck knife and I was carving with it and I almost cut off my index finger. <laughs> and then <laughs> it, it was announced to the whole class that stop carving, no more carving. Yeah. We aren't doing this anymore. So get your pencils out. <laughs> yeah. So I always joke that the only reason he got in was because he cut himself, you know, because it was so competitive. It was just out yeah. of sympathy. Yeah. <laughs> so we met basically the next year, the second year. And we are in studio. When, when you're actually put into like studio courses. Right. Right. Yep. And uh, we both did not like each other right away. I didn't like Alex because uh, he liked Michael Jackson. It was as simple as that for me. For some <laughs> yeah. reason, I was just not into Michael Jackson. I was more into like punk music at that point. Yeah. So I would play in studio Michael Jackson on repeat. And then if they got sick of that, I would bless them with Neil Diamond on repeat. So, so you were that guy. You were that I was guy that in guy. studio. Got it. Somehow people liked me. I don't know why. <laughs> and then and then he didn't like me because because I liked the girls. <laughs> well, he, <laughs> he was mainly more focused on girls than architecture. 
um, which was hilarious. And I think, so we kind of had a rivalry to begin with. And he didn't like me until we presented probably our first or second project. And basically, uh, the project was to make, design an architecture shelter for yourself out in the middle of the desert. So, you know, you only have a few spare things, you have to make something. And I was up presenting and it was a cool asymmetrical design. And the professor, which was uh, an awesome professor, one, one of our favorites, but but very sustainable. Very, very a, a super uber greeny type of professor. Yeah. And he and he's like, Alex, what is what is in the fire pit? Because I carve stuff and put them in there. I go, well, obviously that's the bones of the animals I killed and ate. <laughs> <laughs> and I did, my jaw dropped. And I and I thought, there's something about this guy. Like I got I have to I have to at least get to I have to understand this person. I need I need you know, I'm such, like I need to know I'm I'm the type of guy that needs to know why, who, what, why, where and how, right? So then um, that was our first semester. And then we got put into the, the next studio next semester. And I said, I'm just going to sit right across from him. And there's just no way out of this. Yeah. Um, so we sat right across from each other, got to know each other a little bit. And then, uh, you know, we, we kind of at least would tolerate each other. Then we jumped into the next year and we had to do a very big project. Like, it was, I think it was too big for a third year studio when I look back at it. It was an airport just a giant airport. I mean, and we'd only done like residential projects up to that point. Well, I, I was the team leader for for one team that was a team of four, and Alex was the team leader for another team of four. And it, it, it was kind of an awful project because it was like herding cats, and we yeah. just didn't think, we you know, our team members, like everybody wasn't aligning. You know, there's a lot of e like young egos. Nobody really wanted to be the lead. Nobody really, everybody wanted to be the leader. Nobody wanted to be sort of a not a follower but like a team member a team, yeah so by the end of the project we got so sick of it and we watched each other try to lead the uh, you know each other's teams separately and we said man we should team up if we ever get a chance we should just team up again yeah so then at ndsu one of the biggest and most prestigious um studios is basically doing a skyscraper and they were doing us, having us do personality tests. And we knew that they were going to pair opposites. So we rigged it. I was like, you say this, I'll say this. <laughs> I don't even think our friends know that. Yeah. So then they're like, okay, only an A can go with a D. And yeah. we're like, oh, well, Lance, look at that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we teamed up and we won that competition. Um, and it was great. And then the next year was fifth year. And then there was two competitions for, for fifth year. One is um, basically the best student, the Alpha Rho Chi Award. Um, and then one is to win the, the thesis award. And then just like Lance in second year came over to my desk, and midway through the last semester, I just moved my desk out of my studio and then went over to his desk. And like, I'm just abandoning ship and going over there so we can at least you know talk and you know share secrets and, and everything. So he won the thesis award and I won the Alpha Rho Chi award. So there's a debate at who's better. And <laughs> obviously it's me because I'm not <laughs> <Because> the story. <laughs> and, you know, I could, I could break that tie because I have an Alpha Rho Chi award. So, oh, so I, 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 sorry, Lance. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought it would come to this. <laughs> yeah. So then uh, we graduated. We knew it was going to be tough sliding because we were trying to get jobs in 2008, which 2000, you know, in September was the recession and this was May. Um, so and the previous year, 
there was a at our from our university there was a 90 i think a 95 percent rate of people getting jobs i yeah. mean it was incredible right it was at the height there yeah, was, was everybody the spending right money yeah. it was crazy yeah i remember going to thesis reviews and a, and a guy said, oh, yeah. I need to stop this because this is probably SOM calling for a job offer. <laughs> and, yeah, and then saying, then getting the job and then... And then saying, now even, back to my presentation. Not even caring about their, their critique. So um, then then at the end of it, we have kind of a rooftop party at a deck that the, the, the college puts on for architecture. Our parents are there, all the teachers there. It was all great. And we, and we said, you know, maybe in 10 years, we'll meet back together. And, and started a firm. And it was actually what's what one detail that Alex left out was it was a discussion with that very first professor. Yeah. And, and that professor also, you know, from, with, when Alex told him about the bones, that professor, we had him for the skyscraper competition. So he was very he was very integral. And he even called us like I, I, I love telling everybody that he, he called us the Renaissance team. He's like, this is my Renaissance team. And so, you know, he's just gung-ho for Alex and I as a team. And then, it, you know, we talked about it up on the rooftop. Like, you guys, you guys, you guys really should start a firm one day. Yeah. Yeah, his thesis questions to me still haunt me. I thought he was going to be nice to me, but no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then, you know, we parted ways. I went to uh, New York, Studio Daniel Liebskin. Uh, Lance went Studio HT here. Um, both of them, Brad Tomasek and uh, Christopher Hare. Yeah, one young architects of the year. And that's two, 2008. Yes. Yep, yep. 2008. Yeah, October of 2008, I landed in in uh, Colorado. It, it, I got, I like to think it was one of the last opportunities for a job, like an entry-level job, because I, I there was a ton of students if you go to North Dakota State, you're either going to go to Minneapolis or you're going to go to Denver. and that's, Or Seattle. Or Seattle. But like those three markets, for some reason, that's the draw out of that university. So I had a ton of other classmates that were applying to Colorado because it's Colorado. People love the weather and all, you know, hiking and all the outdoors. And I was I was one of the only ones that was getting, you know, I had seven interviews, ended up getting the one job. And then same thing with Alex. But we saw a big dwindling compared to like the previous year before that. Yeah. So while I was in New York, I was down in Rector Street, which is right by Wall Street. The Wall Street station is just like, there's a little church where we used to eat at. And we were on the 17th floor and then everyone knew of the crash and you know, you put the TVs on and we'd literally look over the balcony and just see everyone walking out of their jobs. They're like, with, <laughs> with boxes and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like, okay, yeah you were, you were literally gonna... in the heart of it. Yeah, because that's, yeah, where, that's it, where that collapse started right there. Exactly, exactly. So we're looking over the edge and be like, I don't know how long our jobs are going to last anymore. So they lasted about six months more, laid off a whole bunch. And I just heard horror stories after horror, horror stories because it's such a in New York, there's such a culture. All of your friends are architects since there's since you there's so many architecture firms there. So SOM 30 gone shop, you know, 20 just, you know, and my other friends were basically saying you got to leave the city because there's no jobs and it's not going to come back for for a year or two. Um, and I called up Lance and he still had a job at HT, but I said, uh, we need alternate streams of income, and especially you since you have kids. And that goes back to podcasting because probably most people that are familiar with your podcast are familiar with Pat Flynn. Yep. So Pat Flynn, same thing. He got laid off, started his own, you know, his own thing and is now doing great. So that's just, just for anybody who doesn't know who it is. It, Pat Flynn is the smart passive income podcast. If anybody wants to go check out Pat, it's a really, really interesting and inspiring guy and a great podcast. Absolutely inspiring. And Alex mentions every time we do tell our, you know, where our origins of F9, 
we have he always mentions him. We always have to mention him because I think it was abs- an absolute catalyst for us, like doing this this spark plug idea from the beginning. Let's take a quick break here to say thank you to our platform sponsors here at Entree Architect. We could not be doing this without them. And Carb, True Style Doors, and FreshBooks. Do you know someone in your firm who's always dreamed of getting licensed, but was unable to complete the experience requirement? Well, maybe that person's you. Well, now you or they can get back on track with NCARB's new AXP portfolio with this option seasoned professionals can complete the architectural experience program, the AXP, formerly the IDP. That's what we used to know it by. It's changed. It's new. You can now complete the AXP by submitting an online portfolio. Along with meeting your state's education and examination requirements, the portfolio will help you or your employees get one step closer to becoming an architect. Learn more about the AXP portfolio at ncarb.org slash entrearchitect. Have you ever gone back to a completed project for a visit and found the doors sticking or the seams splitting and a very unhappy client? I've been there. We are in the client happiness business here at Small Firm Architects. And when a piece of our project fails to perform, especially one that our clients see and use and touch every day, it makes us look bad. Well, true style will make us look good. And TrueStyle is passionate about providing us small firm architects with the inspiration and the tools to transform our designs with the most authentic and distinctive doors available. With more than 400 made-to-order styles, TrueStyle offers beautifully stable, premium MDF doors for painted applications and 20 standard species of wood across all architectural categories from traditional to contemporary and everything in between. Every TrueStyle door is made to order. True Style, driven by design. Visit truestyle.com, that's T-R-U-S-T-I-L-E.com and start designing your doors today. 192 hours. That works out to about two business days per month. If you're an architect using FreshBooks, that's the amount of administration time that you could save in 2017. That's time that you can be spent doing the things you love, like being an architect. FreshBooks is so fast and easy to use that it changes the way we deal with our paperwork. FreshBooks has been completely redesigned from the ground up and custom built for the way that we work. With the new projects feature, we can share files and messages with our clients and our contractors and employees. With the new notification center, it's sort of like a personal assistant. You'll always know what's changed in your business since the last time you logged in. So when you're ready to give FreshBooks a try, go to freshbooks.com architect and sign up for your free 30-day unrestricted trial. Get the whole thing for free for 30 days and get the simplest way to be more productive, more organized, and most importantly, importantly, <laughs> get paid faster. Go to freshbooks.com architect. That's freshbooks.com architect and be sure to enter Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section. So I had the not so smart idea that I could just write it out with one year of going to get my uh, master's in construction management. And then I go, hey, I can build, I'll learn, I'll build us a website, stuff like that. And Lance says, there's something to this BIM. I'm going to try making, you know, 
these BIM models. And you can tell that story. Yeah, so if, if, if for, for all the Revit, Revit listeners out there, um, in 2008, in 2009, there was, a, there was a huge glut in the market for uh, manufacturer-specific building products that you could just plug and play off of places like Arcat or Autodesk Seek, now it's now defunct and went to something else. And you know, all of those other places and stuff like that. So when I was actually at Studio HT, for the last couple months, I was doing cold calling. And I was literally calling, and we actually ended up, I, we ended up landing a meeting with um, one of the first Autodesk Seek representatives who lived in Longmont, believe it or not, in the same town as us, um, trying to become one of their, one of their uh, firms that would create all of this manufacturer-specific content. And so got laid off from Studio HT, and then you know Alex and I had this conversation. And I said, "Well, one of the things I see immediate, and without me trying to get these manufacturers on board, I mean that's a big sell to say to a manufacturer, hey, it's going to cost ten thousand dollars to put all of your windows in here, and the architects might pull them off the web, and they might put them in your project, and then the budget might, you know, it's like this huge sell." So I yeah, said during the recession too, when they're yeah. probably in the crunch. Also. So I yeah. so I thought, well, the easier one is I can make some speculative models, and so. Uh, one of the things I was always lacking when I was doing these super modern houses in Boulder at that firm was modern looking furniture. So I went to all, you know, some popular websites like I think Hive Modern or something like that and started making all of these speculative models and I would upload them ter to TurboSquid. I was doing it in such a big volume that I got the attention of um, the sales representative there that was in charge of the, of, of the new, newly emerging Revit content and she said, hey, how many of these are you planning to put up? And I had like a crazy number in mind. I think I had like a couple hundred up and I was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna put 5,000 up in, in a month or something. You know? <laughs> and I really was gonna try to. <laughs> so she said, oh wow, that, that's awesome. So we kept in touch. And then she went to this trade fair and met, um, a, met a gentleman who was working with Arcat and basically trying to be their source provider. And so they linked up and, and he needed, he, you know, ended up landing like 50 manufacturers. So in a roundabout way, I, we, we, that's the first kind of work that I, that we got with F9 before it was really even kind of an LLC. I mean, it was just me independently getting this work. So the first railings, the first projects I did in Revit building this content were like, they were there, I was making railings. Um, for, you know, big manufacturers in the United States and getting paid a, a pretty good wage for it. Um, and, and this was after do, I got you're doing that. You got laid off and you're doing that solo at this point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Got laid off, got laid off. And in between getting the BIM work and being laid off, I just fell back on my carpentry skills. I literally the next day put up a Craigslist ad because I could see the, the writing on the wall, just like Alex. Alex could literally see the writing on the wall. <laughs> <Right>. Street. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I could see it on the wall. And I had two kids. I had two kids to feed. Uh, I had a wife. And so I just fell back on my carpenter skills. Boulder didn't get hit as bad at the recession. They said it. They said it kind of just stayed steady. And so there were still enough money there. People were wanting to do just basic remodels to their houses, painting stuff like that. So I kind of worked on that that way. Never took. I take a lot of pride in this. I actually never took um, uh, unemployment. So I just kind of went right into. I'm, okay, fine. I'm just going to do whatever it takes to stay in Colorado. I am not going back to North Dakota for no matter what it takes. And did enough of that handyman work to where then I landed the BIM stuff. Um, and the BIM stuff is we, we still do a ton of BIM content to this day, um, you know, through working through. So if you go to Arcat, 
dot com. That's that's the majority of the models and stuff on that uh, on there are are sourced from F nine. Like that's we are. Cool. Yeah, I was just at RCAT with Bill uh, Monday or Tuesday this week. I was up there. Yeah. If you go on my Facebook page, you you can see some of the VR stuff that that he was showing me. Oh no, kidding! Yeah, yeah, very it's cool, cool, very cool. Yeah. So then, just to stay on on Revit and and BIM, um, essentially, then I basically came down. Lance had kind of enough work, and I was out of college and didn't have anything. And he was very a little bit nervous about me coming down because he didn't know if he had you know enough work. We had we had we had a we had a really good pile of, of building information modeling to do with Revit, right? And then we had a big house that I landed that was about over 10,000 square feet, it was huge. Um, and then the kicking point, the thing that turned the page where I said, okay, I'll calm down. I think I think we can do this for, we can try it for a couple months. Why not, let's just try it. Um, I, got, I got a clinic and I had to actually go back to Studio HT and team up with them because I got the lead on it. And I said, hey, I got the lead on this. I still got kids to feed. I think, can you guys at least team up with me on this and you guys be the license and I'll be the production on this. So they were the lead and everything. So Alex came down. Yep. And then I had about four grand in my pocket and I just said, I'm going to, this is, there's nothing else going on. So I'm just coming down to Colorado. And again, it was still during the recession. So we could see the writing on the wall, meaning that there wasn't going to be these large commissions for $4 million houses or, you know, $2 million houses, nothing like that. But there was going to be a bunch of small projects. There were going to be additions, um, alterations, things like that. So we decided that we needed to be a volume based business and we needed to change the structure of our firm so that we could meet that demand. So then we went into Revit and started developing a template. So let's set up all of our sheets. Let's set up all of our schedules. Let's take all of those furniture pieces and make sure that they work. Um, let's make sure that the, you know we can render you know just off the bat if we need to set up all of our wall systems. And then let's also think about the future of let's model the way it's going to be constructed. So we'll have we basically have like a framing wall and then a facade wall because that's the process that gets constructed and it helps us teach new people coming in because it's matching the real world exactly. And even liability wise, I think we were thinking okay. You know, I had a lot of construction experience. Alex had a fair amount of it, but we didn't have a lot of. We have built buildings, so how can we? How can we make sure? Is there a way we can sort of um, have a bulletproof way of us? The way we model, it'll, it'll try to be a one to one once it gets built. So we don't have a lot of. You know, if we get a few clients, it doesn't go sour right away, and we don't sully our name instantly. Yeah, yeah, and it, it was probably too because we were we were so young. Um, and during the recession, everyone was was fighting for a job. So to pick us, pick us, we needed a leg up. And what we found, because we'd always ask people after we were done, you know, hey, why did you pick us? You know, you had millions of options. And we always tried to be the middle guy too. And they said, uh, you were quick to respond, meaning we turn around contracts and proposals within a day. You were the most professional. And by most professional, I don't think you have to be super professional. You can see how, you know, just dress normal and just respond to people. And then in the end, you over delivered. And like, that's what it took just to get those jobs. And we thought that that was so basic. And, but it seemed that most people weren't doing that. If right. you've worked with other engineers or any, it takes them four days to get back to you. You don't know. And if you just do like those quick fundamental things, I think you'd be surprised at the amount of work that you can do. And then the referrals you can get from those work. That's good advice. 
Yeah. So, so I think that, yeah. So, so <laughs> you, so you, so, so we you're did doing, that. we did that for a couple of years yeah, go ahead. and, um, from, so that was basically from 2010 to 2013, you know, we didn't make a lot of money. We just scraped by, we, we basically scraped by to, to the point where we could just eat, you know, we did what never, I don't think we ever handed out a bonus until maybe 2014, 2015 to ourselves. It was, we did put ourselves on very meager salaries. Um, so but did, one, when, one when did you actually form F9? So, so, you're, we, so you're doing solo work, you come together, you get this project and you, and you, you work together on it. Yep. So Lance formed it in 2009 at around the end of the year. I came in 2010 around May. And one thing uh, my mom said, which was great, make sure um, you're paying yourself correctly. So don't just like do a job for 5,000 bucks and then, you know, split it up. So we registered as a company, which is very easy to do, um, set up a, a bank account where all the money goes into for F9 and then it gets distributed to us. And then I started to do all the taxes myself, but then we we got ADP. And ADP is a, a service that will just you know send out all your checks and, and stuff for you and do all the taxes. And what was great about that is even our account, we got an accountant you know, like two or three years later. And she's like, thank God you guys do, did this. There's so many people that just take a check and they just put it in their account. And for loaning in the future, when you want to get a small business loan, which we did, when you want to get you know funding or anything like that, you really do have to set yourself up to look like a business. And it's not that hard. It's just those couple steps, registering yourself, getting a bank account, and getting a, a pay system. Um, so yeah, so we've been, we've been W-2s since day one, and it's been paramount for us being able to personally guarantee to loans. And I, I don't think we'd be you know, jumping way ahead to being able to even jump into this hopefully new development and personally guarantee the loan on the land and, and the construction loan and everything if we wouldn't have done that. Yeah. So that's so that's what you're doing now. You're doing you're you're just starting to do some development work, right? Um, so so how did you get from doing the BIM work to that point to where you are now? Yeah. So basically, one we kept chugging away and doing additions and houses and and um, we even have townhomes of 24 units and some commercial work. But the other side thing is that we like to do a fun project every year, and the fun project is just basically whatever Lance and I think of. Uh, and we think it's cool. Whatever, stuff. and whatever we, whatever we can both agree on, and we're pretty agreeable. But uh, it's we got to have some passion. There's got to be some passion. It's got to be, it's got to be fun. Yeah. And I think I got that from Leapskin too, because he didn't become real famous until he was older. And I looked at his old project, and it was all just crazy stuff that he wanted yeah, to do. Yeah, yeah. You know, don't make any sense. He's drawing lines, you know, in random directions. So, for example, one of in 2012. We were heading out with our girlfriends at the time to uh, the Grand Canyon. And we're like, well, the world's going to end this year. So obviously we should do doomsday <laughs> dwellings. And we, we should make architecture that fights against the apocalypse, right? So we made up, you know, four houses and each one had a symbol. So the one that was a circle fought against tornadoes and a nuclear bomb. Um, so it was against air, right? Uh, one was fire. Um, the firehouse was a square um, and it, was, it collapses in on itself. Flood house is a rectangular, it's lifted above. Um, and then the triangle shape is earthquake house. And it, it's shaped just like that typical uh, cartoonish you know, house shape. Like a Monopoly house. Yeah, right. so we call that house house. So that was one project, um, and we we do these all the time. That one that one was great because it got us a lot of local media attention. We landed a seven page spread with Modern in Denver, which is kind of our version of Dwell in Colorado. And I mean, 
the marketing, if we would have paid for that marketing, it would have been like 20 grand or something like that. And people, people now, so, you know, we, we did that that year in 2010. We so started, wait, before you, before you go into that, so these projects, these four projects, they, do you, do you just design them and render them or are they fully built out structures? The doomsday ones just designed and put on the web and it's just dooms, doomsdaydwellings.com actually. <laughs> and it's yeah, so funny. Cool. One of our new employees said, know what you guys need to do. You need to do architecture that fights against, it's, you know, hurricanes and stuff like that. We're like, we did that, you know, in 2012. <laughs> sure. Pulled out the magazine, it was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> We're like, oh, we've already thought of that crazy idea. Yeah. Um, so one of the fun projects that led to us now going into being a design build own firm is one of our friends was complaining during the recession. And actually this, this started in 2010. Yeah. Because we just got a big project, we were out celebrating, and he calls us and he's just complaining, just complaining, complaining, complaining. Hates his job, hates his firm, yeah. hates his life. So we said, hey, do you have some money? And he goes, yeah. And then we go, okay, we'll design a tiny house for you. You can take it, you can go around America, you can write, take pictures, do what you love to do, and then you'll stop complaining. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's like, I don't know, guy. You know, he just thought we were joking or whatever. H hung up the phone, we go back to, so uh, we are celebrating with his kids, but my apartment was right above his apartment. And I go, Lance, we're really gonna do this. And he's like, yeah. I go, okay, I'll start the website. <laughs> so I started the website. We started you know, the initial thoughts of design. And the next day we emailed him and said, hey, there's a website with your name on it, we're doing this. <laughs> we're designing a tiny house. He's like, oh, okay, whatever. It was, it was a really fun project. So it was Alex and I, and then hit, uh, this gentleman, and then one of our other colleagues from, from that we went to school with. We worked on it for about a year. We got a crazy organic following because that's kind of when the tiny house we started to, to lift off. I mean, it was an insane amount of organic traffic we got in. Even, even the websites we create now are like, man, how? what did we do with that one that made it so easily Everybody wanted to put it on their blog. I mean, it just went crazy. We started tracking, you know, the hits we were getting a day. It was like over 100 a day. What's the name you know, of that one? That one is now um, atlastinyhouse.com. Okay. Yeah. Formerly, formerly blakestinyhouse.com. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so after we designed it and said, okay, let's build it, Blake said, I never agreed to this. <laughs> you guys just kind of did it. Yeah. So we shelved that idea for a while, but we always, but it was such a compelling tiny house design. I mean, the idea was, let's make a, let's make a tiny transformer house on wheels. Let's make the walls, you know, the wall fold, fold down, like the wall fold up. So it's an awning and a deck. You expand, like double the living space, all, kind, all kinds of cool stuff like that. Yeah. So if you're familiar with the tiny house movement, which Mark, you probably are, and most people are, yeah. most of them look like. Um, cool cabins, little cabins on wheels, little, little nicely built cabins. And, and we thought like, we, we always start from scratch, build from the fundamentals, um, you know, first principles. So our first thing was these things are hard to tow. So let's lower the front so that the wind goes over it. And what was great about that is now that we can, we can put solar panels on top of that, and then we can collect the rainwater since it's at one gentle slope. Then the other thing was, I'm kind of claustrophobic, and if you put these things in nature, I want to see nature. I don't want to be in an RV plastic vinyl box. So one whole wall, that's just going to be windows. The whole wall is going to be storefront. And then once we did that, we thought, okay, let's protect that somehow. Let's have a deck that folds down and an awning folds up, which then creates shade and then extends your outdoor spaces and makes it even bigger. So it was a very logical and step-by-step -step approach. And that's, I think that's why people loved it and it kind of took off. And we had 
producers saying, hey, can we film you for HGTV? Yeah, all so, so the time. From, from 2010 to 2013, the project got shelved, but the, but the website was still alive. And I'm not joking, we would have TV producers. There's an LA to Denver connection. I don't know why there is, but there's a lot of television producers, those small companies out here that do work with TLC, HGTV, all those guys. And so we would have multiple offers per month of people saying, hey, have you guys, are you guys planning to build this? We're thinking about doing a tiny house show. And now, as you know, there's like a, there's like three or four of them to the point where we even, we even did a sizzler one day. Uh, we had this one group fly out from L.A. and they did a sizzler and they were actually going to pitch a whole different show. Like it was going to be called Design Duel and stuff like that. So there was all of this building momentum and stuff. Jumped to 2013, 20, or jumped to 2015, and we, we finally, at that point, then grew to where we had um, I think some employees. We had yeah, I think we had four employees. So it was, we expanded to six finally. So we had people in place to continue the architecture work while, and then we had enough capital and enough W two showings and, and earnings and stuff like that and cash where we could say, all right, I think it's time to build this. So Alex went down to a do a show like a house show or home and garden show or something down in Denver. Yep, just just for fun, just you know because that's what architects do apparently. <laughs> and uh, they they had a list and they said if you're building a tiny house, please sign up. And they called me the next day and said, are are you guys building one? And I said, yeah, no, are you serious? Yeah. But we can. And like Lance said, we had some capital because we never paid ourselves you know an exorbitant amount. We always kept it low because we are in in the recession. They said, okay, great. Can you build one, design and build one in the next two months? And we go, no, but like maybe three months. <laughs> and then they said, We're suckers for saying yes, I'll be honest with you. And they said, okay, how about two and a half months? <laughs> so that so How about two it was I think it was how about two and a half months and what if we give you a thousand dollars? And we we just like laughed at the whole thing because we knew this thing is gonna cost and it ended up costing like seventy five thousand dollars to build. Yep. So I started getting the finance ready. We started because it was just a SketchUp model, and a SketchUp model, a SketchUp model might be useful, but not when you're doing folding walls, you know, glass, metal construction. And we designed everything, like the trailer itself, from the ground up. Had our engineer stamp it, you know, all that stuff. So it was just a crazy whirlwind of two and a half months. We even had our dads come. I out. was I was actually finishing my architecture tests at the same time that we built this house and remodeling my house. So it was it was a nightmare. For me, it was a nightmare trying to manage all of that. Um, but, yeah. but we did it, we did it. Yeah, so it got on HGTV, it went great. We're basically in Colorado in, in Lyons, which is right next to Longmont. There's a place called We Casa, where it has a whole bunch of these tiny houses, you know, the cabin ones and ours. It's, it's the world's second uh, tiny house hotel. Yep. So it's just sitting there and it's making passive income, um, essentially just by, by renting it out. And another local company saw us and essentially they said, hey, we want you to build two more for a, a big Fortune 500 company that we can't say because uh, NDA. Um, but we built two more and then basically from, from, those, from the profit of doing that, again, it was a tight schedule. It was crazy. And, and these ones were, you know, Atlas was... I would say a residential level tiny house construction wise, right? And but these next two were like on a commercial level. Like they were like the skyscrapers of tiny houses because yeah. they doubled the folding walls. They were uh 50% bigger. I mean, the engineering on them alone it was just it was yeah. just this insane task. On top of the sloping roof, we have a sky deck that has railings that you can go up to. So those fold down and then that collapses down to be more aerodynamic. 
So literally just nightmares of me just making sure all these things pivot and rotate and fold up and all that stuff. And you guys didn't only design them, you, you built them yourselves? Physically yeah. built them, yeah, yeah. Um, so then after that, and that just was basically the end of 2016. And before that, we were kind of looking for land, um, you know, kind of thinking because like many of our uh, heroes, Jonathan Seagal, um, there's a lot of people doing design build. And we just think that if you go back historically, that's the master architect was the, you know, the, the master builder. builder was the architect, right? Was I mean, the that's builder. what it means. So I think that's kind of a renaissance. And I think that, you know, a lot of architecture architects complain or discuss what we get paid for. And our thought is, you know, we could, we could go into that discussion or we could just take on more responsibility. Right. And I, I think the more responsibility we get, we put ourselves in, the more we're going to get paid for it, and the more and risk it. and risk the responsibility. <laughs> yeah, let's not just not gloss over that. Yeah. So so finally, um, our real estate agent said, "Hey, the land you were looking at." We uh, actually we actually put an offer on a piece of land um, right before we started building those last two tiny houses, um, and it was just it's a small parcel right in the, the town that we have our firm at. It was like a third of an acre. But we got we you know our offer was shelved because somebody came in with cash. I mean cash is king, and then and it's highly competitive in Colorado right now, especially I mean, this is it's one of the hot spots in the United States as far as real estate development goes. So we were bummed out about that. We went on to build the tiny houses, and then lo and behold, the person who ended up buying the land got sick, and they said, hey, they, you know, even before I went back on MLS, the real estate agent called our real estate agent and said, hey, are they is the backup offer still on? We're like, absolutely, 100 percent. Um, so within within one day we had a contract and everything and, and here we are here we are now we're we, we've been at the city a few times and we're starting the whole development process. So what's your plan with that project? What are you building? So uh, be before going in that, just a, a quick, I always ask all my developer friends who we do you know the architecture for, you know, hey, how do you get land and and you know how do you know if it's the right price? And obviously you need to you know do a schematic design and see what you can fit on there. But out of your total end construction budget the budget for the project, if you can get your land for under 18% per lot, per, per, per unit that you're selling, um, you're basically in a good zone. So we knew that the land that we got and we knew how many uh, structures we could fit, we're doing, it's two buildings. So it's six residential townhomes on one side, two on the other side with our new office connected to it. Um, so that will be an IBC building, the other one will be an IRC, IRC, IRC building, um, basically we, we're not going to do sprinklers on one side and we'll do sprinklers on the other side. Um, so we knew that doing that math, we got it for under 18%, way under 18%. 18% of what? Explain what that means. That means basically not the profit that, so let's say you're going to, let's say you build everything, including the, um, not, not the land, but, um, construction costs, construction costs. Uh, you know, putting in your roads, all that, your tap fees, whatever that number is. Yeah. Let's say it's a million bucks or whatever. Eighteen percent of that. Got it. Yep. So the then, land, the land should be eighteen percent of your total investment in the construction of it, of the of the of the structure. Yep. And that's just coming from the developers here in Colorado. Yeah. I mean, if you're in New York City, I have no idea, or California, I obviously have no idea. But in general, I always think sometimes there's this ambiguity and that's something that you're, I wish someone told me, so now I'm telling everyone else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I appreciate it. That's why I followed up on that because uh, I think that's important. 
So what's yeah. your, what's your the next step? Are you are you um, are you uh, can we follow your progress on this project? Are you are you promoting that somewhere, or are you just going to build it and then present it? Yeah. So our fun project this year is starting a podcast, and the podcast is called Inside the Firm. And essentially, it's the first three episodes are already up. You can find it on iTunes, uh, SoundCloud, you know, just Facebook. Um, sure. Facebook is our main platform. Yeah. I'm just or, the word out. Mark, you'll probably have links. Yeah, um, we will. And uh, we, we, we did our, you know, our intro story, how we got work, kind of what we went through with you, but a little bit more elaborate with the first three episodes. And then it's going to be basically the conversations that Lance and I have about past experiences, stories, horror stories, good stories, and then following this design build project. Um, so literally an inside the firm view of, of what's going on in this design build project, along with what's going on, you know, in our whole architecture. And we, we went, so one good thing we did with the tiny house, the second tiny house build was we started just an album on Facebook. And I think that was one of the best ways to do it with our F9 productions page. And every day we would do some new construction tasks. So I think the idea is the same here too. So, we'll, you know, we'll have the inside the firm verbally and people can listen to what we have to talk about there, you know, fights with the cities and money <laughs> and all, all the beautiful stuff that we happens. We love you, right? Longmont. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and, but visually, visually, you know, I think we're going to start an album on and start talking, showing like, hey, here's, here's the constraint that we encountered that we had no idea about and here's how we solved the problem on the site and stuff like that. Yeah. It's interesting too because – you know, all projects that you do when you're in the schematic design development, you know, that phase, it's okay, but the party wall really affects, you know, what wall you're going to use might affect the spacing of the units and what your building height is. And if you can have two stories or three stories and what is the technical definition of story? Can you have rooftop backs? Like it's, it's so nuanced, even though you think, I think back in school you thought, oh, it's just bubble diagrams yeah. and, and, and all that. And, it really gets into code quick, I believe. Yeah. So, so uh, inside the firm is the name of the podcast. Uh, F9productions.com is the website for the for the architecture firm, right? Yeah. Um, you also just Alex, you just also just published a book. So it's yeah. you guys are like the steamroller of architecture here. Uh, <laughs> you can learn about the book at Alex. Uh, it's alexandergore.com. Anybody who wants to check that out, it's called the the Creativity Code. Uh, and it's yeah. actually sitting right next to me because it's on a pile of uh, books that are going on vacation with me as, uh, as soon as I finish this interview. Uh, so I'm going to check it out. But if anybody wants, I love that title, by the way. I think the creativity code is such a cool, cool title. Um, you guys are doing some great stuff. And I can't wait to listen to the podcast because you guys, this is by far the easiest interview I've ever done. <laughs> Thanks, just Thanks. sort of set you set you know wound you up and set you off and you guys uh tell the great story so it's uh i appreciate you guys for being here yeah well thank thanks a bunch I, i've followed you i think for almost two years now uh i got alex to piggyback on to on top and um we love what you're doing we, we i can't thank you enough for like starting all the little discussions it's such a even a really great resource um, in the entree architect community for me to go on and ask actual questions and like even horror stories about clients yeah. or something like, like how do you deal with this stuff yeah. and getting that perspective. I, that's one of the things um, we just, one of the things we, we didn't like about just general architects um, coming into the profession was it seems like 
everybody wants to just hold on to their their little secrets and stuff. And I think the only way we're going to compete with these other professions and, and really take back, you know, that that kind of gold seal of architect is if we we're, we'll open up and we kind of share content and stuff like that. Totally, yeah, totally so. agree. Totally agree. Share what you know. That's that's how we're going to grow. That's how we're exactly. as a profession we're going to grow and and become stronger. Before we wrap up here, guys, uh, I want to ask you the one question that I ask all my guests. And uh, maybe Lance, you can start with the answer first, and then Alex can uh, can do this. And I'm I'm springing this on you guys. I didn't warn you about this, but but uh, what is the one thing that small firm architects can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? And it should be something that's you know something easily you know executed and see some results relatively short term. Uh, it harks back to just being fundamentally responsive. Um, I, I can't, I can't, Alex mentioned it earlier and I, I really think that's where it's at. Um, yesterday on our podcast, we talked about, it's so simple just to, even if you, if you are so busy, right, you're like driving around all day and you're not in the office and you get an email from a client. If you can't respond in detail to them, if you at least respond to them and say, Hey, I got it. I'll get back to you tomorrow or a potential client or anything like that. I think it just alleviates the stress that they have that nobody's taking care of me and that this person is acknowledging me and it shows that you absolutely respect and, and um, value that they're a client or a potential client. Yeah, yeah that's so, great, great advice. Yeah, that's, I mean, I would have said that, but since he said it, I have to come up with another one. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I would say that, um, you know, we already said do fun projects. So you can always do some sort of fun thing that you that you can put your heart to. But if you, if you don't have the time to do that, there's so many stuff that you've done, a little sketch here, an idea there that you have and it's in your corner. It's you know behind your desk or somewhere. And then what I would say is think about how you can put that out there. It is so easy now to make a website. Weebly is drag and drop. It's simple. You can do it for free or else it's nine bucks a month. It's nothing. And so many of these ideas that we put our hearts in, Doomsday Dwelling, RevitFurniture.com, the tiny house, whatever, it, they have all come back. They have come back in a securitous route and it have paid off, if not that year, but years later. And it's again about putting something out. So everyone that's listening to this podcast, I feel has talents and ideas, but they're stuck in your room. So somehow think, how can you put it out there in the world? Two excellent answers. Really, really good. Thank you. I appreciate you guys for sharing your knowledge here today at Entree Architect Podcast. All right. Hey, thanks. thanks. It's been a pleasure. Thanks a lot, Mark. Complete show notes and a direct link to download this episode will be found at entrearchitect.com slash episode 158. And don't forget to visit our website to gain access to our digital course, Profit for Small Firm Architects, and learn how to build a powerful profit plan that will work for your small firm. Visit entrearchitect.com slash free course. Hey, hundreds of architects have already taken this course. It's a great place to start building a better business and it's free. EntreeArchitect.com slash free course. My name is Mark R. LePage and I am an entrepreneur architect and I encourage you to go build a better business so you can be a better architect. Love, learn, and share what you know. Thanks for listening. Have an awesome week.
I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything, yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us. Can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast. It's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is going to be a priority. When the job is done, we're going to actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. (laughs) So for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.